tonight at GZM, we're going to discuss um, our fourth step. You know, and the fourth step is making a, a fearless and moral inventory, a searching and fearless moral inventory. You know, and a lot of times as you're in recovery, you hear this fourth step, this dreaded fourth step, and you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. And so often we are in our recovery or we're trying to recover from sin, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, sexual stuff, food, sexual abuse, you know, a variety of different things that we're trying to overcome in our lives. You know, and abstinence is not enough. So often we try to have a diet of sin. You know, and and many of us in here that have been on food diets, they don't work real well. Because we're trying to change a behavior, but we're not trying to look at the inner motives of why we overeat. You know, and the overall perspective of why we're doing it isn't always clear. You know, summer is coming and I need to lose 10 or 15 pounds so I look good in my bathing suit. But the truth of the matter is if I don't change a behavior, even if I am able to lose that 10 or 15 pounds, that that behavior begins to resurface eventually when my focus gets off the goal and I begin to slip. So often in my life, as I've been in recovery, I've been able to sustain a year of sobriety. But because my focus wasn't really on real change, that eventually I slipped back into drinking and drugging. You know, and I've been able to do this several times. You know, as I initially came into recovery, I would consider myself an atheist. And I was able to put together a significant amount of time without God, without working steps, and just being a meeting maker that trying to make it. Now, granted, my behaviors were very dysfunctional because I was just acting out in different ways. You know, I put down the drugs and alcohol, but I was very sexually active, and I would go to the mall, and I would steal everything I could get my hands on. You know, so there was a lot of other areas that were out of control, even though I'm trying to get one area under control. And a lot of times this happens in our lives that we try to focus on one area of our lives, and all of a sudden one another area gets completely crazy you know because we take all that focus and put it on one thing and we're not able to sustain many different fires that are burning in our lives you know it wasn't until later on that you know I realized that I had this issue in my life now I'm a firm believer that if you have a substance abuse problem that going to AA or NA is a very positive thing and it's been very beneficial in my life I still go I was there today but I remember sitting in an AA meeting and had months of sobriety and I was broken and I was depressed and I was crying and someone said that I had untreated alcoholism and I believe that and I still believe that you know but if you broaden the spectrum or narrow the spectrum however you want to look at it a lot of us have untreated sin. You know, that I have this issue in my life that sin appears. You know, and my moral compass is not able to control every area of my sin nature. That so often we come to Jesus and we're able to put one area before him. And we say, all right, Jesus, forgive me of this. But I have a lifelong track record of sin. 
whether it's my sin or someone's sin against me, that all this stuff in my life has not really been dealt with. You know, and so often we come to Jesus and we're broken. You never really get to Jesus on a good day. You don't ever get into recovery on a good day. Usually everything is completely out of control and you're kind of looking for the first thing that helps you stay afloat. <clears throat> you know, I ended up in church. You know, I ended up in Celebrate Recovery after I had 16 months sober and relapsed back into using drugs and, and drinking. And basically somebody invited me to church. and I'm like, it can't hurt me. You know, a week ago I was in a crack house. You know, and here I go off to church. Now, I've been to church. I grew up in church. But I did not have a relationship with Jesus. It was religion. It was going to church on a Sunday. I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'd never read the Bible in my life. So there's all this stuff in me. There's all these ideas of what church is about. There's all these ideas of what religion is about. I have had a conversation with you, and I've watched a movie, and I have my own opinions. And, you know, Darwin was correct with you know, evolution and all this stuff that I have in my mind because I don't know God. I don't know Jesus. I just know that I don't like the church, and I don't like religion, and some priest has molested a boy, so that means it's all fake. But the truth of the matter is, is in my brokenness, where else do I turn? You know, so often I've tried to manage my sin in many different ways, you know, and eventually it just comes out again. You know, and a lot of times it comes out worse than before because it's like I put a dam to the river and eventually that dam breaks and everything gets crazy. And I start running and gunning harder than I did before. So if I have this sin issue... And I am ready, and I'm sort of trying to figure out this Jesus stuff. And I come to this place where I know that I can't live my life the way that I've been living it. And I end up in a place where I'm trying to search out and figure out God. That I'm able to turn some things over. But there's a lot of stuff that I've been hiding and running from for a very, very long time. You know, I say that's my denial closet, and I, and it has a purpose. I think that some of us in here, you know, have been through very traumatic issues as a little kid, and that we have no ability spiritually or emotionally to handle those things. One thing that I went through is I was molested as a little boy, and I had no ability to cope with that. So it goes in the denial closet, and we just don't talk about that. Now, many of us have been through similar experiences, and other experiences and and we put them in this place that we just don't talk about and eventually we may talk about it but we've somehow detached from it and we can talk about it but the motion is in the denial closet and we've had a counselor and we talked to a friend and then the friend talked to somebody else about it and then we realize that I can't trust anybody so then we don't talk about stuff and then I just keep piling stuff inside of me and I have all this sin that I don't know how to deal with and it comes out in many different ways. You know, it can come out in depression. It can come out in anxiety. It can come out in very destructive behaviors like drugs and alcohol. It can come out in very, being very promiscuous. It can come out in very, a lot of anger. You know, and there's many different ways that this sin begins to surface in our lives. You know, so as we get to this place where we're broken and we're looking for help, you know, that we first have to kind of go through some of these steps. Now, you know, I believe that the step process is biblical, and you can find that the framework for it all throughout Scripture. 
So a lot of Christians, you know, run into the steps without even realizing that they're doing them. You know, I realize that I can't sin anymore, and I need God, and I believe that God loves me, and I believe that God's going to restore me, and I'm ready to kind of turn my will over, as long as God doesn't touch stuff that's in the denial closet. And so often we go through the motions of recovery, we go through the motions of church, because we don't really realize the power of Jesus. We don't really realize the power of the cross. Now, we're, we're coming up on Easter, we're coming up on... Good Friday, we're coming up on the, the holiday that represents really the foundation of what we believe and why we're here today is that this man named Jesus lived this sinless life. And he lived that to prove that he was the Son of God. And he willingly went to the cross and he was beaten and he was you know, maimed and he was ashamed in the sense that they mocked him and hit him and spit on him and they you know, called him names, that you're the king of kings, and they put a robe on him, and they pounded a, a crown of thorns into his head, and eventually he was taken to the cross, and they crucified him. And then he willingly laid down his life, and he died that day. And they put him in a tomb, and three days later he rose again. And he came out and he said, look, here I am. Now many of us would say that we believe in that. But do we really understand the power of that? See, I believe that a lot of us come to the understanding that I need Jesus. And you wouldn't probably be here unless you had some level of understanding that you need Jesus or even have Jesus. And many of us have had Jesus for many years, but still don't realize the power of Jesus. You know, that as I make this searching and fearful moral inventory, it's not so that I can shame myself. It's not so that I can feel bad about the things that I've done. Because a little hint is there's nothing that you're going to write down on this list that you don't know that you did. And here's another little hint. There's nothing on that list that you're going to write down as you make this searching and moral inventory that God doesn't know that you did. So it's not like we are revealing something to ourselves or to God that we both don't know. The truth of the matter is, is I've been running from it for a very, very long time. And the reason why I turn to drugs and alcohol and sex and I use anger and, and to, to cover things up and I use all these different things and I use food and I use and I use and I use is because I'm technically running from the things that I have hidden inside of me. But the truth of the matter is, is wherever I go, I take myself with me. So even if I can put down one behavior or the other, I still have all this stuff on the inside of me that's not been resolved. Now, I can say, God, forgive me of my sins. And on some level, there's truth in that. And I think it's kind of like a race that we, we run. You know, that, that it tells us that we're running this marathon. To run your race well. So when I, I believe that when we begin the process and we ask Jesus in our heart and we say forgive us our sin, it's like the starting pistol going off on the race. Boom. And then we don't do anything. So we're running a race, but we're still kind of hanging out at the starting line. You know, and the more we go to church and maybe we picked up our Bible and maybe we read some Christian book and we went to a small group, it's like we took a couple steps down that road. But there's some aspect of Jesus that isn't taking place. Now, I remember many, many years ago when I 
decided to go to church for the very first time, you know, they said, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And without even realizing it, I was up out of my church chair and I was headed towards the front of the church and I kind of looked at the church as I was walking to the front and I'm like, what are you doing? You're about to become religious. And I'm standing in front of this church and a pastor came up to me and he's like, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And I'm like, I have no idea. And I stepped back from him and I put my hands on my head and I'm like, what are you doing? Like in my head, I'm like, what are you about to do? You're going to become one of those people. And I'm like, holy smokes, I can't believe I'm doing this. What am I doing? I hope no one ever finds out that I'm up here. And he can see that I'm perplexed. And he's like, why did you come up here? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, that was the worst decision I ever made. And I'm standing there, and he's talking to me. And he's talking about stuff that I, I know about myself and things that I believe about myself. But he doesn't know me. You know, now I know it's Holy Spirit led, but then this guy's like rolling the dice and getting lucky, you know. But he said something that was very, very powerful to me. It's like, if I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, that he would fill me to overflowing. Now, I believed in that time that I was a virus and that any time that I touched something, it would go bad. And when I got around people, their lives would go bad because I was such a bad person. And I consumed everything, whether it's drugs, alcohol, girls, money, doesn't matter what it is, more, 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 more. So here he's telling me that if I accept Jesus, he's going to fill that black hole that's on the inside of me. And I'm like, I'm thinking, my wheels are spinning real fast. And I said, okay, here we go. And I accepted Jesus that day because I wanted the pain to stop. And many of us in here have been in recovery, have been to church, but we still carry all this pain on the inside of us of the stuff that we've been through in our lives, and we just don't know what to do with it. We've prayed about it. We've asked to, to, to do things. We've talked about it. But there's still this thing on the inside of me that still hangs out in there. And it makes me very anxious. It makes me very depressed. It makes me very angry. It makes me very insecure. And it just feels like this weight is on the inside of me. And I don't know how to get rid of it. You know, a long time ago, it clicked. That I'm not trying to get sober. That my focus is completely wrong. I'm not even trying to really abstain from sex. I'm not even trying to eat properly. I'm not trying to get rid of something. I'm trying to get something. And when my focus went off of staying away from things and started focusing on getting more Jesus, all of a sudden I started to get filled up to overflowing. But as I allow Jesus in here and let him start doing whatever he wants, a lot of this stuff that I don't want to talk about starts getting addressed. You know, in Revelations, it says he stands at the door and knocks. Now, I believe that he stands at the door and knocks when it comes time for salvation. And he's like, hey, let's hang out. But I also think that when we're in sin, he stands at the door and knocks. And goes, hey, what are you doing? Why do I keep returning to certain things? Why do I keep going back to drugs and alcohol? Why do I keep going back to pornography? Why do I keep going back to unhealthy eating habits? Why do I go back to unhealthy relationships? Why do I go back to abusive relationships? Why do I, I run from positive relationships? Why do I continue to walk out of good jobs? Why, 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 why? We ask ourselves why. And Jesus is like, I got some answers for you. Would you let me in? 
And we're like, no, 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 no. I don't like that. It makes me very uncomfortable when you get in there. So I form myself to religion because it's more comfortable to go through the motions of recovery or go through the motions of church than having this intimate personal relationship with God where he's constantly like, hey, can I have this? Can we talk about this? Can we can we deal with this? And we're like, no, 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 no. No, no, I don't want to talk about my childhood. I don't want to talk about my relationships. I don't want to talk about the sin that's still in my life, even though I say I belong to you. I don't want to talk about those things. I want to do what I want to do, and you co-sign me in my sin. And so often, what we don't realize, and why we continue to fall over and over and over again, is that we have this junk that's on the inside of us that's continuing to cause this pain. Now, we may deal with one thing or another, and we've prayed to forgive somebody, but if we get in the same room as that person, is their forgiveness real, or are we still just as jacked up and angry as we once were? So we really have this forgetter in there. I know how to put things in the denial closet, but I don't really know how to process and deal with things. So here's this step that says, hey, let's look at some stuff. And we're like, nope, don't want to do that. I have Jesus. Why bring up the past? He's forgiven me of all my sins. Well, that may be true, but you haven't forgiven the people that have sinned against you, so let's deal with that. Oh, no, I I prayed the prayer. Then why are you still so angry with those people? I'm not really angry, as long as they're not anywhere near me. You know, so here's this thing that Jesus is doing. Let's look at some stuff. Now, for me, I believe like the steps are like sanctification on steroids because it gives you this path that you walk down or steps that you step up as you're trying to get closer to God. And you have all this stuff that's on the inside of you that you're not dealing with. And he says, hey, let's expose this stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't like being vulnerable. I like having the coat of my anger because it protects me. Or I like the apathy, or I like my depression, even though I say I don't. And I like to be a victim, even though I say I don't like to be a victim. And we have these excuses that are built in, because they have been there for so many years that we don't even realize that we're lying to ourselves. That we have Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but we won't allow him to be God of our lives, because I'm still the Lord of the stuff I don't want to deal with. I still want to manage my sin, how it works out for me. And Jesus is like, let's deal with this. Now this step, to me, is saying, all right, Jesus, let's fling the door open. And it's very scary. Because one, I have to begin to deal with some of this stuff, or even address it, or even bring it out of the denial closet, and and begin to look at it a little bit. And what I've come to learn in my own life, is that Psalm 23 talks about, I fear no evil because I walk through the valley of the shadow of death because he is with me. Now, if there is a shadow, there must be a light. And Jesus is the light. But there's things in my past that cause a lot of death because the wages of sin is death. So I have this rotten apple that's amongst my apples and it's continuing to cause rot that I don't want to deal with this thing it's I have this thing on the inside of me that's rotting me emotionally 
spiritually, and my flesh is acting out to cover this thing up. That the Bible tells me that the sting of sin has been removed. But if I don't address the sin, if I don't address the sting, the sting can't be removed. Jeremiah 6 talks about that he cannot heal a wound that I say is not there. Like, no, 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 that's not really the problem. Everyone around us is saying, um, you have a problem. No, 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 I don't have a problem. Just think back to how young we were the first time someone, or even ourselves, acknowledged that we had some sort of a problem. But no, 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 I don't really have the problem. You know, so here Jesus is saying, hey, let's do this searching inventory into your past. Now, it doesn't have to be this scary thing. But what I do need to realize is that my identity is in a lot of this stuff. My identity is in the fact that I've been rejected and abandoned. My identity is in the fact that I've been abused. The identity is in the fact that I've done this and I've done that. My identity is in the fact that this and that has been done to me. So even though I say I'm a Christian, my real true identity is in brokenness and in pain and in sin. So I claim to be a Christian, but my true identity, the foundation of my identity, is still rooted in stuff that technically Jesus paid for. Because he's paid for all sin of all time. He's paid for my sin, he's paid for your sin, and he's paid for the sin against the people that have sinned against us. But a lot of us, we have not yet really truly dealt with some of our own sin, because we still like it. And we haven't dealt with some of the sin that's been done to us because if I open that door, I will be vulnerable. I don't know what will happen. I have a million excuses of why we don't talk about this. So we allow this thing to stay stuck in there, and it's rotting us to the core. And Jesus is like, can we, can we talk about this? No, no, no. No, no, no. I don't want to deal with that. So here's this step that's trying to lead us to freedom. But yet, we like staying stuck in certain places. We make a lot of excuses and we justify a lot of our actions of why we can stay stuck. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus works things together for our good. And he sets us up for failure and for victory. That he allows us to run our race the way we want to until we get to a place that we've fallen on our face enough times. You can go back to that dysfunctional relationship as many times as you want. But at some point, you're going to have the aha moment that you had originally when he revealed to you that that was a bad idea. And you're going to be like, I can't do this anymore. You can go back to drinking and drugging as many times as you want if you make it out alive. And he's going to be right there saying, I love you. I forgive you. Let's do this my way this time. And we're like, okay, I'm going to ready. I'll do it your way this time. And then we get a couple of steps down that path, and we're like, ah, I'm ready to take my will back. I don't feel as in much pain as I used to. But the truth of the matter is that the reason why we continue to do a lot of the things that we do is in our past, and it's in the foundational places of who we really are. So if my identity is to be completely in Christ, I have to go to some of these things that I would say own me, and I have to look them straight in the face and say, you don't own me anymore. My identity is in Christ. My identity is not in the fact that I got molested. My identity is in Christ, it's, and I am now adopted. It's not the fact that I've been rejected and abandoned. My identity is in Christ, 
over and over and over again, we have to begin to look at some of these things that are in our path and really walk through the valley of the shadow of death that's between our ears and fear no evil because he is with us as we go into these places. The valley of the shadow of death that's in our heart, the anger, the bitterness. And we have to say, God, I'm ready. Or I want to be ready. Give me the willingness to be ready. You know, so as we make these this moral inventory, this list, we begin to write down the things that are in our past. It is not as scary. I promise you, it's not as scary as you think it is. It will be emotional. It can be overwhelming at times. But it really makes you address and look through and sift through the wreckage of our past. You know, and it helps us to bring Jesus into every little area that we've been pretending isn't there. And it helps us to go into so many different areas because sin is a symptom of our heart. And our heart is clouded with all this junk. And our flesh wants to cover it up. And it wants to run. And it wants to do things. And it wants to make ourselves feel better. But the only thing that can truly satisfy us is a deep, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And the only thing that can get us into that deep relationship with Jesus is digging out all the junk that's in the way from letting him go deeper into who we are. And then we begin to see how our past is going to help somebody else. We do not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Why? Because the whys that we've asked ourselves hundreds of times growing up, why did this happen? Why did I have to go through this? Why did this? Why did that? That when we allow Jesus into here, we cross over to the one that works everything together for good according to his purposes, and that he begins to use our whys. All of a sudden, we get connected to somebody else that has very similar past as we do, and we begin to tell them how Jesus has set us free, and they begin to start the path to healing and restoration, transformation, because they're asking Jesus in because... He then is knocking on their heart because they see the transformation in you and they want the freedom that you say you have, which you do have because you're walking down a road with him because he'll never let go of us. But I think that the problem is is so many people get our focuses on things other than true freedom in Christ. For me, he tells me that who I set free is free indeed. You know, there's areas in our lives that we don't feel free. And it's because I'm not letting Jesus in there, and I'm not allowing him to heal, change, direct. I'm not learning to be obedient to what he's asking me to do. That so often I hear him tell me to do something like, eh, that's not going to work. I'm just going to keep doing it my way until you get on the, the path of my will be done, Jesus. That you're just supposed to magically make this go poof. And it's all gone. But if he makes it go poof and it's all gone, what testimony do we then have? That we can stand there and say that Jesus works in supernatural ways and he'll poof you and you'll be completely delivered? Well, that doesn't, it's not practical for one, and it's not the way that any of us got here. So how can we expect that somebody else is going to get here that same way? Now, granted, we've all had suddenlies on some levels that he's moved in our lives and things have been eradicated instantly. But a lot of the times he likes to use the trials because he teaches us things. He teaches us his ways. He teaches us his purpose. He teaches us dependence and reliance upon him 
through these places so that we cannot get boastful and prideful and we also don't allow these doors to swing back open because we realize the pain that we've been set free of so we don't want to go back to these types of things. So if we don't go through certain aspects of our past, we keep repeating them over and over and over again. You know, as I've been in recovery, you'll hear it over and over and over again that you need to work a program. What is that program? Typically, you know, there's over 300 different 12-step types of meetings. And the steps is just one tool. You can look at a lot of different tools and a lot of those things have similar principles to them and it's really just focusing on certain aspects of the Word of God and let's apply these parts of the Word of God and let's get a deeper relationship with Jesus that I have to learn to trust God, clean house, and then I begin to help other people. So as I allow Him to clean house, that means that I let Him go into some of these places that I don't really want to go. And I begin to look at my anger, and I look at my fear, and I look at my sexual activity, and I look at the dysfunction, and I look at this, and I look at that. And I begin to see the blueprint of why I do a lot of the things that I do. And I begin to recognize these paths. that When I get to certain places, it's like, oh, I know where this path goes, so I'm not going to go there today. Where years ago, I would have just wandered down the path, and I'm like, how did I get here again? How come I'm struggling with this again? It's because Jesus set me free, but I didn't do the work to truly stay free because I didn't deal with the root of what the real reason is of why I went that direction. And all of a sudden I end up back in the neighborhood that I don't really want to be in anymore. And I'm like, why? How come? I thought I dealt with this already, but I only dealt with a part of it. I didn't let him go into the depths of it and uproot it. So it just regrew. You know, I learned a long time ago, if you don't kill the spider, the spider webs will always come back. And so often we've cleaned house on some level, we've wiped the, the cobwebs away, but we didn't really deal with some of the root issues. And all of a sudden, without paying attention to it, we're all spider webbed up again. You know, and this is a, a process. I think that a lot of it can get done pretty quickly. But as we learn this tool, we learn this step, we learn this process, it becomes easier and easier to turn things over and address and look at and go deep because we're not afraid anymore because we watch Jesus walk us through these things that we begin to trust him more and more and more. That it's easier to turn our will over into harder things because we watched him set us free in these types of things. Now, granted, some of us have some really traumatic, painful experiences that we've been through, and this isn't going to be easy all the time. That some of digging some of this stuff out because we've been trained to do certain things for thirty some odd years. So if I spend five minutes and you know a couple of prayers on that, it might take a little bit more effort. I might need to get accountability. I might need to see counseling. I might need to to really do a biblical study on some of this stuff. There's many different things that I may have to do. What I'm doing is I'm opening the door and saying I'm ready to start dealing with some of these things. You know, and I'll end with this, is that I was a very angry person for a very long time. I would say that my anger dates back into my early, early childhood. And I was very dysfunctional, very chaotic, very manic temper tantrums. If I didn't get my way, I was an absolute crazy kid. 
you know, and that just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew that I was very angry. I would say by the time I was 10 years old and that just grew through my teenage years. And by the time I was in my twenties, I was a monster. So angry, so enraged all the time. I did not have a fuse. I had like a detonation button and anybody could push that thing. It did not take much for me to go from zero to a million real fast. And I did not know how to control my anger. And that's what really began the process of me believing in God is that I realized that I had two areas in my life that I have no ability to change. And one of those was the shame that I felt for the things that I've done and the things that have been done to me in my anger. And that's what you know, I came to this place and said, God, take my anger, take my anger and help me to forgive myself, help me to forgive myself. And I prayed for the very first time on my own and nothing happened. But I was so diligent and tired of being stuck in this place of craziness. I prayed every night before I went to bed. And one day I went to bed and I woke up and a weight had been lifted. And I'm not telling you all the anger was gone. I'm not taking, telling you all the shame was gone. But it definitely showed me the power of prayer. And maybe you're not ready to go into some of these places. And I really believe that you need to work the first three steps. And you need to have accountability. You need to have some sort of a sponsor or guide or pastor that's helping you through this process. You should not be trying to attempt this on your own because it would be very overwhelming. And you'll want to quit. And you will quit or it will get real crazy. And all the sins will start to manifest and you'll have a meltdown. But you can begin to pray. You can begin to say, God... I'm ready to start letting you in here. I'm ready to start cracking this door open. I might not ready to, to go all the way in here, but God, prepare me. Lead me to the people that are going to help me to do this. I can begin to pray about some of this stuff and ask him to start moving, asking the Holy Spirit to uproot things, asking the Holy Spirit to guide me and prepare me, asking for courage to begin to address some of these things. And prayer is one of the most important aspects of working through your steps that there's so much prayer life that begins to stir as we let God in and we believe that he's going to restore us and we turn our wills over and we begin to go into these places because we're trying to trust and we're beginning to trust who Jesus really is. And we're believing that the cross truly is and was the very thing that's going to set us free. And it's so important that we really know who Jesus is before we start to open this door. Because if we can open this door and not have Jesus, and we can open ourselves up to a lot more crazy things and a lot more pain and a lot of depression and a lot of anger and go back into our addictions because we're not ready spiritually to open up some of this stuff. That denial has a purpose. That I believe that God invented it. And so it's so that in a place, in a time when we're not emotionally and spiritually ready for this stuff, that we're able to store it in this place. But we got so used to sticking stuff in that place, and even as adults, we're sticking stuff in that place, and like our emotions are out of control, and we're like, um, we're full. Uh, the denial closet has been full for years. And we're like, no, 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 I can get one more thing in there. And we're trying to cram stuff in there, and it's manifesting in dysfunction and addiction and pain and anger, depression, anxiety. All these different things are manifesting in our lives. It's because we have all this junk that we're not dealing with. But it starts with prayer. It's asking Jesus in and saying, guide me. Teach me who you really are. Teach me that you love me in spite of myself. Teach me that you love me in spite of the things I've done. Teach me that you love me in spite of the things that have been done to me. That it's so important that you start with a relationship with Jesus. Because he will guide you 
through all of this pain and he will set you free at a level that you didn't even know existed. So it's so important that you're starting with a relationship with Jesus. But if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I absolutely advise that you don't even attempt this yet. You're not ready. That there's things and components and this relationship has to be developed so that you're ready and you know that he's with you as you begin to open up the door to this stuff. But you can begin to pray right now about that because you know what's in there. As much as you deny it, you know what's in there. And as much as you say you've forgiven, you know you didn't. And as much as you say it's not really there, you know it's there. So I encourage you to, to truly begin to pray about this stuff. And when the time is right, he will begin to lead you down this path. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you that you've given this step to us. I thank you that you've given us this process that it makes it easier to have freedom, Lord, that we don't have to waste 20, 30 years carrying all this pain on the inside of us, that we can begin to address it. But Lord, I pray that you would guide each and every one of us into a deeper relationship with you, that you would guide us into this place of intimacy, that we would know that you're real, that we'd know that you're with us, that you'd know that your love is for us, that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon us, that you would begin to fill us up to overflowing, Lord, that we would know that in spite of all the things that we've been through, that your love is more powerful than that, anything, and that we would be ready to allow you to take us where you want to take us so that we can have the freedom that your word tells us that we can have, that you break all the chains and that you set us free and then you help us to help other people. But Lord, first let us, let you help us. Help us to learn you love you back. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.